Good morning for our scripture reading. We're in the Gospel of John, chapter 8. Gospel of John, chapter 8. We're going to begin in verse 28 and read down through verse 32. John, chapter 8, and verse 28. John, chapter 8, and verse 28. The Bible says, Then said Jesus unto them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am He, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. And he that sent me is with me, the Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. As he spake these words, many believed on him. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, again we do just ask that you'd just quiet our hearts, still our minds, help us to just for a few moments be focused upon you. Lord, I just pray that you would put everything out of our mind and just help us to focus upon you. Lord, just pray that you would bind Satan and his demons from any distractions this morning in the name and through the blood of Jesus Christ, and that your message that is intended to be in our heart, it would be there, Lord, and that we would respond if necessary. Lord, what, a, what an amazing phrase that, that Jesus said here, for I do always those things that please him. Lord, I, I just pray that that would be our intention. Lord, I, I know that we fall and we fail, and it's impossible for us to always do the thing that pleases you, but I just pray that that would be our goal, that would be our everyday intention, to constantly please you with all that we do. And Lord, we can't do that without being at your feet. We can't do that without being in your word and being with you and taking time to do that and be close to you. Father, help us to remember that. Be with preacher. Lord, strengthen him and fill him with your Holy Spirit and use him in a mighty way. <clears throat> Give him the words to say, Father, and I just pray that we would um, just understand and know and listen for exactly what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning I want to continue our series of messages on discipleship, and uh, we want to talk about the essentials of discipleship. As we think about John, the Lord Jesus here in the book of John, says in verse 28, Then said Jesus unto them, when ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am He. We know they lifted up the Son of Man when He went to the cross, didn't they? And Jesus was saying, when you see me on the cross, you're going to know that I am He. And the Lord wants us to know that, and He wants us to be followers of Him and to be disciples of Him. A disciple is a pupil a student, a learner in the school of Christ, a learner who is receptive. You know, it's one thing to hear the Word of God, it's another thing to receive God's Word, put it into practice in our life. There's at least three things that are involved in a school. You have to have a teacher, you have to have a textbook, then you have to have a test, don't you? We, we do okay with the teacher and the textbook, but we don't like the test part, do we? 
in school or even in our lives as Christians sometimes, we struggle with the tests. But I want you to think about with me just a little bit this morning this matter of discipleship again and the essentials that are involved in it. First of all, I want you to notice the teacher of the learner. Who is our teacher? He tells us in verse 31 of our text, he says, Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. So this is Jesus. Then said Jesus. He is the teacher, the Lord Jesus Christ. But I want you to notice two phrases in that verse. He said, Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in, circle these two words, my word. If ye continue in my word, then, circle these two words, then are ye my disciples indeed. He talks about my word, and he talks about my disciples. If Jesus were visibly standing here before us this morning, I believe that all of us would eagerly fall at his feet and worship him, wouldn't we? We would bow before him as King of kings and Lord of lords. But I want to say to you this morning, he is present here. Amen? Even though he may be unseen... He's present, and we still ought to bow before Him and open our ears and listen to His Word. In Matthew chapter 11, another passage of Scripture that's familiar to us as He speaks about discipleship, in verse 28, He tells us, He said, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. As students, as disciples, we're to be learning of Him. Learn of me, He said, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Here in John 8, He talks about my word and my disciple. In Matthew 11, He talks about come unto me and learn of me. We come to the Lord and we learn of Him. When on earth... Jesus was recognized as a model teacher, and that he certainly was. Mark's gospel says in Mark 12 and verse 37, the common people heard him gladly. He was a good teacher. He was a model teacher. He was the best teacher. But even in those days, just like we have today, there were people who heard, but they did not accept his teaching. And so I want you to notice as we think about the teacher, I want you to notice the teacher challenged. Jesus was challenged. In verse 25 of our text, John chapter 8, he says this. John chapter 8 and verse 25. Then said they unto him, Who art thou? And Jesus saith unto them, Even the same that I said unto you from the beginning. They challenged him. They said, Who are you? Look at verse 33 of the same chapter, John 8 and verse 33. They answered him, We be Abraham's seed. And we're never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, ye shall be made free? Again, they're challenging the Lord. Look at verse 39. They answered him and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Jesus saith unto them, If ye were Abraham's children, ye would do the works of Abraham. Here in John 8, Jesus confronts the Pharisees, and they reject his testimony and his teaching, and they simply ask him, who are you? Who art thou? Or in other words, who do you think you are telling us what to do? From where do you get the authority to speak to us in such a way? And of course, we know where his authority came from, don't we? came from heaven. And verse 33, they said, we're Abraham's seed or Abraham's descendants. Verse 39, they said, Abraham is our father. They appealed to Abraham as their authority, and they were 
questioning Jesus and his credentials. They were saying, Abraham's our authority, who's your authority? In answering the Pharisees, Jesus said in verse 31, he said to them, if ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. Look down at verse 47, notice what he said there. He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. Well, those are pretty powerful words, aren't they? I sure wouldn't want the Lord to say to to me, you're not of God, you don't hear my words, you're not of... That's what he said to them. And that kind of set the pot boiling. They kind of were upset at his response. And look at what they said to Jesus on down in verse 52. Then said the Jews unto him, Now we know that thou hast a devil. Abraham is dead, and the prophets, and thou sayest, If a man keep my sayings, he shall never taste of death. Art thou greater than our father Abraham, which is dead? And the prophets are dead. Whom makest thou thyself? Again, they're saying, Who do you think you are? I don't know about you, but I don't think I'd want to talk to the Lord that way, would you? And yet they're, they're... challenging him as he gave them the truth. And throughout their confrontation with Jesus, they questioned his credentials. They questioned his authority. Teachers are sometimes asked in our day-to-day, what school did you go to? What degrees do you have? What's your authority? And they were asking the same things of Jesus, only in a little different way. Look at what Jesus said to them when he he taught back in his hometown synagogue in Nazareth. Go back with me a a, a few pages to the book of Matthew chapter 13. And again, they challenge his authority, and he's in his hometown and in the synagogue there. And in chapter 13 of Matthew and verse 54, it says, and when he was come into his own country, he's back in his own hometown of Nazareth, he taught them in their synagogue insomuch that they were astonished and said, Whence hath this man this wisdom and these mighty works? Again, they're challenging his authority. Where do you get this wisdom? Where do you get these mighty words? Then notice what verse 55 says. Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And his brethren James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And his sisters, are they not all with us? Whence then hath this man all these things? Now, just a little bit of a side thought here. When they're asking, they're saying, who is this man? He's just an ordinary man. He's the son of the carpenter. Is not this the carpenter's son? But notice in verse 55, he says, is not this his mother called Mary? Let me ask you a question. Mary was the mother of Jesus, right? Who's the father? God is in it. God the Holy Spirit. So he says, and his brethren. So if, there were, if Jesus had brothers, God is his father. They weren't his brothers by his father because John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So that means these brothers had to have come from his mother, Mary, right? Mary had other children. She had, she had James and Joseph and Simon and Judas. And verse 56 says, and his sisters Are they not all with us? There's an interesting verse that you have read many times, I'm sure, in the Christmas story back in Matthew chapter 1. And listen to what it says at the end of that that chapter, verse 24, it says, Then Joseph, 
being raised from sleep, this is after the angel has told him that Mary's going to have a, a child, he raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife. So Joseph took unto him his wife, who was Mary. Verse, 5, verse 25, and knew her not. In other words, he didn't have physical relationships with her, and knew her not till she brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Joseph and Mary did not have physical relationships until after Jesus was born. After Jesus was born, they had a normal physical relationship and had children. They had brothers and sisters to Jesus. They were what we would call half-brothers or half-sisters, but Mary had other children. And so they're still they're saying of Jesus, who is he? he he's just... He's just a, the son of this carpenter. He's son of this, of this woman, Mary, who is a normal person like everybody else. His dad, a normal his con, conception of his father, Joseph, a normal person. Who is he? They're questioning his authority. Even Jesus' siblings at that time did not acknowledge his credentials. They did later, but at this point they did not. In his commentary, Albert Barnes said this. He said, they took offense at his humble birth and at the, at the indigent circumstances of his family. They were too proud to be taught by one who, in family connections, they took to be their equal or inferior. So they didn't look up to Jesus. They considered he was equal or he was inferior to them because of the poor conditions that he was raised in and so forth. Neither the Pharisees nor the members of Jesus' hometown synagogue were learners with a receptive spirit. Consequently, they forfeited the privilege of learning. Think of this. They forfeited the privilege of learning from the very lips of God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. What a sad commentary. They missed this great opportunity to learn from Jesus because of their ignorance and because of their blindness. They challenge the teacher. And then notice the teacher's credentials. Listen to what Jesus declares about his credentials. If you're back in John chapter 8, go a couple of more chapters with me to chapter number 12. And Jesus gives his credentials in John chapter 12 and verse 49. Listen to what he says there. For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me, he gave me a commandment what I should say, and what I should speak. In other words, Jesus said, where did I get these words? Where did I get this wisdom? It came from the Father in heaven that sent me. The learned Nicodemus, you remember in John chapter 2, a ruler of the Jews, at least he perceived and proclaimed cor correctly who Jesus was. John, or Nicodemus said in John chapter 3 and verse 2, it says, The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Nicodemus understood that Jesus came from God. He performed miracles. Nobody could do this except God was with him. Nicodemus recognized that Jesus had the highest authorization. He was a teacher come from God. And that sets him apart from all other educators, doesn't it? He's different. He's a teacher come from God. At the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount, which I think was 
probably the greatest sermon that is ever preached on earth, the people's response attested to the authenticity of the messenger and the message. In Matthew 7, verse 28, it says, It came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the, as the scribes. They recognized his teaching, they recognized his authority was more than what the Pharisees were contributing to him. Back in John chapter 12, Jesus defends himself in verse 47. John chapter 12 and verse 47, he said, And if any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. Jesus said these words are going to be what you're going to face when you stand before an almighty God someday and are judged by God. You see, God brought us into this world. God created man. We are, we are created in his image and God tells us we have a responsibility and an accountability. One day, every man will stand before almighty God and give an account. And Jesus said the words that I say unto you are what you're going to give an account for. Where do we get those words? We get them in this book, the Bible, don't we? We're going to give an account for it. Verse 49, he went on and said, For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me, he gave me a commandment which I should say, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his commandment is life everlasting. Whatsoever I speak, therefore, even as the Father said unto me, so I speak. And so the Lord Jesus Christ is certified he is credentialized. He is, he is authorized to be God in the flesh teacher. He's sent from God. He's the one at whose feet all receptive learners should bow and learn at his school. Genuine disciples will hear him gladly. My word, my disciples. Jesus' words, being the very words of God, are to be revered and they are to be received by each of us as no other words that we have ever read. There's no other book in all of the world that is like this book right here. This is the only book that God ever wrote. It is God's Word. And we treat it and revere it and respect it above all other books and all other words that are given. And one of the essentials of discipleship is that the learner is receptive to the Master's message. What a teacher. Let me ask you a question this morning. Are you a student at his school? Are you a student and receptive to his message that he's given to us for today? Someone wrote these words, At the feet of Jesus is the place for me. There is a humble learner would I choose to be. So we see the teacher. I want you to notice, secondly, the textbook of the learner. The textbook. We have a teacher, then we have a textbook. Back in our, our text in John chapter 8, verse 31, Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word. The Bible is the textbook for the disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ without question. Other books may be helpful, but none of them can ever take the place of the Bible itself. The writer of Psalm 119 said, Teach me thy statues. And that ought to be our desire and our prayer. Lord, teach me your word. Teach me your statues. Teach me your truths. 
A pastor one time was leading his church in a testimony meeting as a part of the service. And he asked the people to give their favorite Bible verse. And one fellow stood up and he said, My favorite Bible verse is, If at first you don't succeed, try, try again. The pastor was a little bit embarrassed by it. But the worst was yet to come. A lady stood up and she said, I don't know where it's found, but my favorite verse is, Every tub sits on its own bottom. Well, neither statement is in the Bible. But I'm convinced after 53 years of pastoring that the majority of Christians in our country do not really know the Word of God. We claim to be students, but we're not studying very much. And we're not learning very much. And I believe the reason for that is because we're not disciples. We're not disciples. A young boy noticed a large black book covered with dust lying on the top shelf of one of the bookcases in his home. And his curiosity was aroused and he asked his mother about that book. And embarrassingly, she said to him, she said, oh, she said, that's the Bible. That's God's book. The little boy thought for a moment and he said, well, mom, if that's God's book, why don't we give it back to him? Nobody around here reads it anyway. Not too long ago, Vicki and I had the opportunity of touring the Billy Sunday Museum up in Winona Lake, Indiana. And in the museum, there are several Bibles that, that he used when he was preaching in his evangelistic campaigns, and they're on display there in the museum. And one Bible is lying open in the display case, and in the margin, he had written these words, Dust on the Bible, sin in the life. I thought that was pretty good. Dust on the Bible, sin in the life. And I'm afraid that's true of many Christians today. Why is the truth textbook so very important for us in our lives as disciples? One of the main reasons is because of the nature of that book. Notice its nature is seen in its authorship. Its nature is seen in its authorship. Over in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 23... There's an interesting verse that I want to share with you. 1 Peter 1 and verse 23 says this. It says, Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. It is the word of God. He says, We're born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God. And then it says, Which liveth and abideth forever. The fact that the Word of God is not of human origin should be evident to any one of us that read the Bible. Think about this for a minute. A good man could not have written the Bible. And a bad man would not have written the Bible. In other words, man could not have written the Bible. If he would, he wouldn't have done it. And he wouldn't do it if he could. Why? There's two self-evident propositions in those two statements. First of all, a good man could not have written the Bible because over 2,000 times in the Bible, it tells us that God is the author. And therefore, if a man claimed to be that it was not written of God, he wouldn't be a good man because he would be accusing God of being a liar. 
Secondly, a bad man would not have written the Bible if he could because it tells us how bad he is. And he would not be willing to write about himself that way. And so a good man couldn't and a bad man wouldn't. The Bible's author is the almighty, eternal, all-wise God himself. It is God's word. And 1 Peter 1.23 makes that very clear. By the word of God. The holy book unparalleled it stands. Its author is God, its truth divine, inspired in every word and line, although recorded by human hands. The authorship of the book. And then also notice with me, if you will, its nature is seen in its authority. It's seen in its authority. We read the verse there in 1 Peter 1, 23, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. The authority, it is the word of God. And verse 20 of that same, or verse 25 of that same chapter says, but the word of God endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. It's called the Word of God in verse 23. It's called the Word of the Lord in verse 25. Therefore, the Bible is authoritative. It is God's Word. Many man-written textbooks are used in our educational institutions across America. They contain a fair amount of speculation and theorizing. Is that the right word? Theorizing, I guess is the way to say it. And all of the sorts of things that man inserts into their address or into their lesson or lecture, the Holy Spirit inspired the Word of God and He does not speculate. He does not theorize. He does not engage in supposition. The Bible speaks authoritatively in every subject that it addresses. The Bible is the only absolute and sufficient guide in all matters of faith and practice in our lives, because it has God's authority upon it. Over a hundred times in the first five books of the Bible, you read phrases like, the Lord said, or God said. Three hundred times again in the historical books, you find the same phrases. Twelve hundred times in the prophetical books, you read the same phrases, or you read phrases like, hear the word of the Lord, or thus saith the Lord. Over and over and over again, the authority of the Word of God, it comes from God. It is God's Word. It is God who is speaking to us. And then notice also its nature is seen in its agelessness. It's seen in its agelessness. The verse again in 1 Peter 1.23 says, The Word of God lives and abides forever. Verse 25 says it endures forever. The books that men write, they don't last very long, do they? But the Word of God lasts forever. Books that were top sellers a few years ago are now forgotten today, and we know a little bit about them. But God's Word lasts forever. People who write books oftentimes write to their generation, to the people that are living in their time. But God's Word was written at least 1,500 years. It took at least 1,500 years to write the Word of God, spanning over 30 generations. And, and as that Word was given to us, it was not only a top seller but years ago, but it's still a book that is one of the top sellers today. It's not been forgotten. And though men have tried to destroy it and ban it and burn it and do away with it, God's Word still stands today. And God's Word is still one of the most popular books in the world. 
We send money sometimes to help the smugglers in the Middle East to get books, to get the, the, the uh, books into the Muslim areas. And Muslims, we're told by the thousands, are coming to Christ in the Middle East. And the imams there, they have one reason for it. They say it's because of that book. It's because of that book. Talking about the Bible, the Word of God. And the attacks have come from the cynics and the critics and the skeptics, and yet the Bible endures. It's authorship, it's authority, it's ageless. It is the Word of God. Mahatma Gandhi, the famous Hindu leader, knew the Bible was very powerful. He made this statement. He said, you Christians have in your keeping a document with enough dynamite to explode civilization, to turn society upside down, to bring peace to this war-torn world, but you read it as if it were just good literature and nothing else. And he was right in what he said. The Holy Bible is the textbook in the Christian school, in Christ's school of discipleship. It is the textbook. It is the Word of God. Are we learning it? Do we love it? Are we living it? Are we true disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ? So we have the learner. We have the textbook. Thirdly, I want you to notice the testing of the learner. The testing of the learner. Back in our verses in John chapter 8, verse 31, Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on Him, If ye continue in My word, then are ye My disciples indeed. One of the tests is we've got to continue. Then He says in verse 32, And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. The disciple's teacher does the testing and the grading. Let's take a little bit of a self-test this morning. Sort of a straw poll to see how we'll do on the actual test. Question number one. Do I appropriate the truth? Do I appropriate the truth? Jesus said in verse 31, If ye continue in my word. It means to abide, to dwell in the word of God, to live a a Bible-centered life. Do I continue in his word? If we do that day by day, we cannot but absorb and uh, assimilate the Word of God into our hearts and lives. To appropriate the Word of God means to take it in. It means we receive it, we digest it, it becomes a part of our life. Jesus said to the Pharisees here in our text in John 8 and verse 47, He said, He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. The authentic disciple hears God's Word. Mary of Bethany recognized the worth of the words of God, and the Bible says that she sat at Jesus' feet and heard His Word in Luke chapter 10, verse 39. Eight times in the Gospels and eight times in the book of Revelation, Jesus said, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. The true disciple of Jesus Christ will hear the Word of God. He'll listen to it. He'll hear it. And Jesus is not referring to just the physical ears in which we hear. He's referring to the spiritual reception of the Word of God, hearing it, incorporating it into our lives, making it a part of ourselves. The Holy Spirit of God gives us that ability when we're saved, when we become a child of God, when we're born again. He gives us those spiritual ears so that we can hear even the still, small voice of God as His Holy Spirit speaks to us.
and guides us. And we take that word and we appropriate that spiritual food in our lives and it changes our life and makes us a different person. A lady that I heard about for many years had been a faithful reader of the Word of God and, and she determined some years ago that she would read through her Bible at least one time for every year that she lived. She lived to be over a hundred years of age. And she read through the Bible more times than what her age was. You see, she was willing to hear the Word of God. I wonder how much we really want to hear God's Word. If this is the only book that God has ever written, then shouldn't we spend more time reading it? If this is the book that God wrote, Say, boy, I'd sure like to know what God says. Well, we've got it right there. All we've got to do is read it. Build it into our lives. It may mean we have to arise a little bit earlier in the morning. It may mean we have to stay up a little bit later at nighttime, but we need to hear the Word of God. Amen. Question number two. Not only do I appropriate truth, but question two, do I apply the truth? Do I apply the truth? Jesus said in verse 32, And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Learning that applies truth to life results in freedom. As we hear, as we learn, it sets us free. Sets us free from the old life. Sets us free from the old habits. It sets us free from the old chains of bondage that holds us down and holds us back. Knowing the truth and living the truth are two different things. We appropriate the truth. We apply it to our lives. The dictionary defines knowing as having information, awareness, understanding. To be unacquainted with facts means that we don't know the truth. Knowing leads to doing. James said, be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. You know, there's a lot of people that can quote, thou shalt not steal, but they still steal. They know, but they haven't appropriated. There's people who know that the Bible says, blessed are the meek, but they're filled with pride and arrogance. There are people that know that the Bible says, blessed are they that do hunger and thirst after righteousness, and yet they have no hunger for God, or no thirst for God, or the Word of God, or right living. It is not the recitation of truth, but it is the application of truth in our hearts and lives that makes a difference. The Pharisees of Jesus' day, they knew the truth thoroughly. Many of them had memorized much of Scripture, and yet Jesus severely condemned them. He said that they did not apply, they did not appropriate His Word. And you know what He called them? He called them hypocrites. Because they knew it, but they didn't live it. Jesus spoke a parable about two types of hearers in Matthew chapter 13. He was teaching about the sower of the seed and the different types of soil. And he said in verses 22 and 23, He also that receives seed among thorns is he that heareth the word, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becometh unfruitful. But he that receiveth seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth some an hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. In other words, God said when we hear His Word and we appropriate it and apply it to our life, 
our life changes and we become fruitful and we bring fruit for the glory of God. So the test is hearing and understanding that results in fruit. It is not just knowing the truth in our mind, it is showing the truth in our life and living it day by day. Many student disciples in Jesus' school cannot pass the test, the truth test that is given to us. The writer of the book of Hebrews writes a scathing rebuke to those that fail to practice the truth. I want you to listen to what he says in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse number 11. Hebrews chapter 5 and listen to verse number 11 and, and some of the following verses there. He says this, Of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing that ye are dull of hearing. For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use, those who hear and do the word of God, have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Those who hear and do, they know what is good, they know what is evil, they know what is right, they know what is wrong, and they do what is right. And they do what they're supposed to do. I heard of a missionary that went to a remote area of Africa in the early days of the modern missions movement. And he walked into a village deep in the jungle, and there, in the middle of the village, a very large crowd of people had gathered together, and the men of the village were playing marbles with diamonds. The village was located near a diamond mine, and not knowing the value of diamonds on the world market, they had become so familiar with them that they were playing marbles with diamonds. I believe that there are a lot of Christians that are playing marbles with the truths of the Word of God. They collect them, they make notations of them, they fondle the book, but they fail to realize the truth of the Word of God in their daily lives. May that not be the extent of our acquaintance with the Scripture and with the truths of God's Word. May we be learners. May we be receptive of the truth of God's Word. May it become a part of our daily life that produces fruit and it causes us to live like the Lord Jesus Christ. A young lady one day finished reading a book and she did like some of you have when you read a book. She remarked that it just wasn't a very good book. It wasn't very interesting. And in the course of time, she became engaged to be married. And one evening, she and her fiancé were walking together. And she said, you know, she said, some time ago I read this book. And she named the book. She said it was a very dull one. And she said, it was written by a man with the very same name that you have. Isn't that a coincidence? And he looked at her and he said, not at all. He said, I'm the man that wrote that book. And that night, that young lady went home and sat up until the wee hours of the morning reading that book again. And this time, it seemed like an interesting story. In fact, the most interesting story, she said, that she had ever read. The once dull book now became 
something that held her fascination because now she knew and loved the author. And so it is with the Lord Jesus Christ and His Word. When we get to know and love the author, it then becomes very valuable to us. If we know and love Him, we will become receptive learners, reproducing in our lives the lifestyle that the Lord Jesus Christ wants us to live. And so this morning we've seen the learner, we've seen the teacher, we've seen the textbook, we've seen that when we apply that to our lives, God's book that is written with great authority and has the author of God Himself, that we're to appropriate it, we're to apply it, and as a result, it brings fruit in our life. Let me ask you a question this morning. Is there any fruit in your life from the book that you hold in your hands right now? Or is on your phone or your iPad, however you read it? Is it changing your life? Or are we like the Pharisees? We know it, but we don't recognize whose book it is. And we haven't come to know the author and love him and love his book. Let's bow our heads together in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. We're going to talk about it some more tonight, but thank you for the textbook that we in the school of discipleship, in the school of learning, we get to read a book that's authored by God himself. May we be learners that are more than just readers. May we be disciples. May we fall in love with the book because we know the author. May it become more real and more living and more interesting and exciting to us as we grow in our love for you. And may we apply it to our lives that it will change the way we live and we'll become more like the author the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. Lord, there may be some people here that don't know the author. Would you help them today to open their heart and their minds and their spirit to you? May they come to know you as their Lord and Savior even today. And may those of us who know you fall in love with your book, your words. And as we take the test, may it be seen that we appropriate the word, we take it in, and then we apply it. We live it. We know the truth, and the truth has made us free in Christ Jesus. Help us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.